Hi, welcome to Timely Issues, the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here and it's a pleasure to talk with you. Um, I should modify that word pleasure. I wish the circumstances were somehow different. I wish the topic, the thing that the crisis that precipitated the topic hadn't hadn't occurred, but indeed it has. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, defining this crisis, uh, trying to put it in context as difficult as that may be. We're going to talk about rules of what goes wrong and what goes right in the context of crisis communications. These are principles that you should be able to apply almost regardless of the situation in which you work, you have the nature of your operation. We're going to talk about the importance of preparation. And for some of you, that may be a particularly impatient or bad timing, piece of bad timing. But preparation is still important because uh, this crisis is teaching us that it's not if something bad is going to happen, but rather when something bad happens. We'll talk about crisis communications during and after. Um, it's not really over until it's... And then we'll talk about the importance of migrating toward digital channels, just as we are on a digital channel right now with this webinar. And I'm sure so many of you are also participating in other webinars and other online meetings. Your consumers, many of your advisors, many of your audiences are also migrating toward digital and the digital channels will become progressively more important. And at the end of this program, we'll send you some information about how you can get a free digital audit, get an audit of your digital assets to see uh, what sort of shape they're in. So uh, the first thing I wanna point out is that the myth of exceptionalism certainly should be um, over among, among the congregate care sector representatives on this program. Uh, I've taught this class many times before uh, for decades now. And in the past, the difficulty has been to set up the context and to really drive home that it's not a matter of if, but when. So there was always quite a lot of conversation about, well, what constitutes a crisis? Well, all of that is just exploded at this point, because indeed it's not a matter of uh, if, but it's a matter of now. Uh, and these this exceptionalism uh, I would hear through the years is in the form of, it'll never happen here. Uh, we have a great reputation. We don't have to worry about our brand. Uh, we know what to do and my team can handle it. Well, I have lots of evidence um, that unfortunately, uh, not only has it happened, but it's happened in the congregate care sector in a particularly difficult way. Uh, it's a somewhat simple, simplistic definition, but it's important to start with a definition. A crisis is any unexpected or even expected event which has or can have an adverse effect on customers, the people who choose to use your service, consumers, the people who use your service, uh, your employees and staff, 
uh, or your brand, anything that can damage your brand, your brand reputation, um, that's indeed a crisis and needs to be treated with the basic principles that we'll review here. The start of this is to put into context two contrasting crises. Um, one happened in 1989 and the other happened in 1988. One you'll remember and one you won't. Um, in um, the one related to the Exxon Valdez, there was about 11 million gallons of fuel oil spilled through a collision of a tanker um, in Alaska. And it created a huge ecological impact in Alaska. The other was um, an ecological disaster that occurred on the Monhegan River, uh, just upstream from Pittsburgh. Three and a half million gallons of oil was spilled. The reason you probably have heard of the Exxon Valdez, and the reason you haven't heard of the Ashland oil spill was because of how the executives in those two organizations handled the crisis. The Exxon uh, executive, the CEO, sent a series of progressively more important but basically uh, low-level executives to deal with the problems in Alaska. He himself didn't show up until quite late in the crisis, whereas the Ashland Oil CEO not only showed up, but he actually went to the site of the disaster, set up a media center, and handled the crisis himself. So how does, a, how does an oil spill disaster compare to or connect with what's happening in long-term care and congregate care? Well, this certainly is a different crisis. The first issue is that Mother Nature isn't being endangered. Grandma is in danger. And this is significantly different. This is very personal. The second point is that in the entire sector is under siege. The symbol or icon for this crisis is a nursing home in Washington state. And indeed, nursing homes have been appearing in the news uh, related to this crisis regularly. And some of the news media has been uh, positive and constructive, and some of it has been uh, damaging. And later on, we'll have, a, uh, we'll have a case study of two examples, actually two stories that appeared in the same newspaper on the same day, which I hope will illustrate some of the fundamental principles and points I'm attempting to convey here in this webinar today. The, the other element that makes this crisis particularly difficult is the latent guilt about not caring for grandma at home. In other words, there are consumers now, there are family members now who are wondering, oh, would grandma have gotten sick if, I'd, if she had been able to stay home? You read in the news probably questions out loud expressed by family members. Should I go and get grandma or get grandpa out of 
the assisted living residence or out of the nursing home and bring him or her home, uh, would that be a better, safer outcome? So this is doubly personal. So there's latent guilt, there's confusion, lack of clarity around whether to bring uh, mom or dad home. And I was very pleased to see recently the CEO of the uh, American Healthcare Association say, finally, uh, that indeed it's probably safer overall to let the residents of congregate care centers stay in the congregate care centers and not to try to bring them home for a number of uh, good social and epidemiological reasons. But the point is that this crisis is personal. This crisis strikes right at the heart of some of the things in our culture that we cherish. And we need to treat our communications with our various audiences with that level of sensitivity. And the final point is that at least for the time being, there doesn't seem to be an end in sight, regardless of the political wrangling about when business will open up, there's really no discussion about when nursing homes will open up, at least I've not seen it in the news, nor should there actually be any, at least for the time being, the, the very best things we can do is manage the situation as it is. But what that means is that for families and for our staff, it's tremendously important to have messages and to be taking a leadership role in delivering these messages and bringing the messages home. So I often say in crisis communications training with executive teams, imagine the unimaginable, and that's where we should start. Well, we don't have to imagine the unimaginable. Whoever would have thought that outside of an assisted living residence, I frankly don't know where this picture was taken, but outside of an assisted living residence, that there's National Guardsmen in hazmat suits getting decontaminated. So um, the scale of this crisis is uh, tragic, it's difficult, and nothing I'm saying or will say should in any way diminish that. But I do want to focus on putting the best possible, possible light on it and giving you the tools so that you can handle it with aplomb, with dignity, and with the discipline. Uh, the question is, of course, what's your response? What's our response as a, as a sector? So I'd like to talk a little bit about some of these rules, the rules of crisis communication, and some failures. What can go wrong in crisis communication? The first rule is never leave communication to others. Don't let anybody else carry your message for you. You as the authority, you as the leader, you as the manager, the CEO, the chief operating officer, whatever your title is, if you're in charge, you need to step forward and step out, step out in front. The rule is get up and get it out in front. Get out in front of it is the expression which means putting your face, your position, your voice in closest association with information about what's going on, what's occurring, 
what's on your audience's minds. And the rule, the second rule is use every channel available to you. That means live meetings with your team, with your staff, with your employees. That means using Zoom or in this case, go to, go to meeting, go to webinar. Uh, there's dozens of uh, video streaming applications and we're all going to get we're all going to get very good at this. Um, and I would say that's a consequence. That's a, a sequelae of what's going on. And you will be using them. Here's what's not to do. Here's the failure. The failure is when we try to blame people. The failure is when we try to slough over or not be clear about things. The real failure is failure to respond and we'll see that in the case study, the two case studies that we look at. And the other failure is not prioritizing audiences. One statement does not fit all. We need to have tailored messages for each of our audiences with information, suggestions, instructions, and insights that are distinct for each. Another rule and unfortunate failure is that don't assume that anything is off the record. If you don't wanna see it in the media, in print, don't say it and importantly, don't write it. Don't send an email message, don't send uh, a Facebook post, uh, post that you're, when you're exhausted, tired, hungry, it's two o'clock in the morning, you've been at it now for 18 hours, just don't do it because if it can be it will be used and it will be used in ways you can't anticipate so as a good media management rubric if you don't want it printed if you don't want it posted don't say it don't write it the second thing that i want to drive home and this is terribly important and very important as we'll see in the case study don't hold your breath about what other people, especially your staff, will say. Tell them what to say. Give them the messages and also ask them not to say certain things. And there are reasons why, there are good reasons why your staff should be saying certain things to people and should not be saying other things to people. And it's not hiding behind HIPAA. It has to do with reputation. It has to do with fear. And it has to do with how they are seen in their community, in their family, as being constructive or not. What's wrong about this? Well, failing to understand communications protocols. We'll talk about that when we talk about um, auditing and your communications plan, the planning process. And the other thing is speaking before thinking. It's just not okay to wing it. Um, it's terribly important to have a script. It's terribly important that you understand how you're going to say what you want to say and what you need to say to your respective audiences and that you write it out, actually write it out and to the extent you're able, uh, practice. The other rule and uh, shortcoming of crisis communication has to do with making errors. When 
we're in a situation like this, and we're in many different situations, it's just not possible to be perfect. In this webinar, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to say everything exactly the way I'd hoped to say it and convey to you. Neither can you. The important thing is that we are able to admit an error, especially to our staff and to the outside world. So if there's been an error, what's terribly important is that you take responsibility for it and that you admit that you state, I regret that such and so happened. I regret that I failed to communicate the urgency of this situation. I regret that we weren't able to share this information with you in the past. However, here is the information now. Take responsibility for something. Even if you can't take, uh, even if you can't share everything at a given moment, take responsibility for something. Don't hide behind others. Don't behind, hide behind HIPAA. Don't hide behind the governor. Don't be hide behind your boss. Don't hide behind corporate. You get the message. Take responsibility and take responsibility for something. And then the other one is don't delay your response. As soon as you're able, sit, speak the messages. Make the email communication. Write the Facebook post. Record the Facebook Live message. Whatever it is that you can do, do it as quickly as you can with a script and as responsibly as you can. The reason for this is that we are responsible, as this image shows, uh, an elderly woman inside uh, a congregate care center, and that's apparently her daughter or a family member or a friend. We are responsible for both sides of the glass, and we need to take that responsibility and develop communications to both sides in this, and I would argue, in every crisis. Another rule and failure is we need to be flexible. Um, we, don't, we don't always have the information when we speak to people. We need to be flexible. Uh, we don't always hear rumors quickly, but we need to have our antenna out so that when we hear them, we can confirm them, we can refute them, we can create a message about them and reply to them. What's absolutely essential is that we don't be dismissive. If we appear to be dismissive, we're going to look like we're talking down to people. And that's not the position we want to be. In a crisis, we want to be shoulder to shoulder or on the same side of the table as our key audiences. And that includes not only our residents, but our staff, family members, and the board of directors. And uh, what's also important is that we understand people's communications needs. It absolutely doesn't hurt to ask people, are you getting what you need? Do you understand what's going on? Is there some information that I can provide to you that you'd like to have. And if someone asks for information that you can't, truly cannot provide, and there's a good reason for that, it's fine to say, I understand that you'd like to have that information. 
I'm not able to share that with you at this time for this reason. As soon as I'm able, I will, because I really want you to know. I want you to be fully informed and to understand what's occurring uh, during this crisis. The other issue in communication is timing. In a crisis, especially a crisis like this, the crisis is never over for someone. There's someone who's been tragically and painfully affected by the crisis. And to think to yourself, well, let's wrap it up and go home, or do a victory lap with the staff, that's absolutely uh, the wrong thing to do. There's someone who's still hurting. And in your communications, nothing you communicate should diminish or show a lack of respect or compassion or empathy for those people's or that person's pain. So please don't be dismissive. Um, if there's a breakdown in internal communication, identify it as quickly as you can and address it. And if you don't have enough feedback, that's a failure of your communication system which needs to get addressed. And we'll talk about systems and planning. In addition, there's a very common misunderstanding about admitting or confession or uh, exposing liability and saying we've committed this error. There's a very, um, uh, it, it, there are many environments that are highly litigious. Few environments are as litigious as nursing homes. In a crisis such as this, the usual rules or the usual restrictions may seem to be less relevant, and they probably are, but the basics are still true. Talking about what occurred is not admitting culpability, responsibility, or guilt. Talking about something that's occurred is just that, talking about something that's occurred. When we did a study of the reasons why uh, individuals sue nursing homes, we found that 55% of the responding population, this was a study done by the CNA insurance company, 55% of the people who sued nursing homes said that they did so because nobody took responsibility, nobody talked to them about what happened to their family member, or their loved one, or the, the person for whom they were responsible in the congregate care center. So the message that it, there is that you can say something, find something to say to key audiences, and say, saying something that happened is not the same as accepting culpability and responsibility. And when you don't say anything, that seems to imply that you don't understand what people need. They need to hear from a person in authority and that you're not listening to their feedback. You're not listening to them say, uh, I, don't want, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. <clears throat> so the key to crisis communication, uh, I hope is being conveyed, is preparation, preparation, preparation. 
because in many regards, when the you-know-what hits the fan, uh, it might already be too late. So I want to talk about a little bit about before, understanding that what we're really trying to do here is we're trying to saddle the horse as we're galloping along. Um, but these messages are nevertheless uh, important. First of all, it's terribly important that you have a plan in your congregate care center about who says what and to whom. In other words, who in your organization is authorized to speak to the media? Who in your organization is authorized to post something on Facebook? Who in your organization answers the phone? Because I've seen too many cases where, too many situations where somebody from the quote unquote media calls under a ruse and it manages to extract from a second shift uh, CNA some information that's later used in a very damaging way against that congregate care provider. So the question is, who is authorized to speak about what's occurring in the center? So that's the who says what and to whom. The second thing is, and this is going to seem simplistic, so forgive me, where are the phone numbers? Where are the police? Where's the fire department? Where are the phone numbers for you, for the leadership? Where are the phone numbers? Are they close to every phone? Are they close to every phone on every shift? Are they easy to get to? These are, sim seem simplistic, but having been in thousands of nursing centers across the United States, I can tell you that too often they're nowhere to be found. So this is a great time to do, to, to do a walkthrough, to do an audit and see where they are and to see if people know, especially in the second and third shift, uh, where the information is. The other piece that uh, is here on the screen and we'll talk about when we talk about um, creating messages is the scripts. We have to be able to script these messages. Crisis communication is not the time to make it up or go on the wing. So you see here, I've got a draft script of a message that a clerk or an attendant or somebody who answers the phone at uh, 11 o'clock in, in the evening might say, thank you for calling, I'm unable to comment. Please give me your contact details and I'll be sure to pass them on to Mrs. Flynn, hypothetical, who will be in touch with you as soon as possible. And thank you for your patience. In other words, everyone in the organization should understand that the media, while, needs to, while it needs to be vetted, is not to be considered as the enemy. Um, also beforehand, how are your lists of local media, radio, press? Don't forget the freebies, the, the penny papers, the whatever they call them in your marketplace area. These are extremely useful uh, channels of information, in part because a lot of your target market, a lot of your prospective consumers, a lot of your family members look at these penny papers. E-newsletters, do you have an e-newsletter? This, this, now we're getting into the digital sphere, and many of you uh, have yet to be dragged clicking and screaming 
into the digital arena, but I hope this, this will uh, prompt you and spur you to do that. Social media, Google alerts, these are simple things, easy to set up that can keep you apprised of what's going on and give you important channels that you can use in, in the middle of a crisis right now. So it's important to try to build relationships beforehand and to do practice uh, to practice. I've heard of many stories of active shooter drills in nursing centers, but I hadn't heard before uh, the recent events, I hadn't heard of um, active pandemic drills, but I suspect we will have now. So uh, review the digital assets. Uh, you'll all have an opportunity to have a free uh, digital audit as a result of participating in this webinar afterward. Um, families rely on these digital communications tools more so than ever before. Your website, <clears throat> Facebook, email channels, e newsletters, etc. And I want to point out that uh, those of you who are boomers or Gen Xers that aren't perhaps as comfortable with some of the newer social media uh, channels, I know I'm not, I'm a digital immigrant, not a digital native. The important thing is not what we're comfortable with, but rather what do our audiences use? We need to be using those channels, whether it's WhatsApp or Instagram or whatever, we need to be use, using what they're using. Okay, so this is a segue into what we can do during um, a media crisis. And these are principles, and then we'll talk about case studies. Principle number one is to vet, screen every media inquiry. If somebody calls, somebody sends you an email message, saying I'm from the Boston Globe, don't assume that they're from the Boston Globe. If somebody calls and says I'm from the local CNN affiliate, don't assume they're really from the local CNN affiliate. Uh, we have a long-standing client who regularly gets poked by a uh, patient's rights crusader. It's nothing just against patient's rights crusaders, but what this person does is she disguises herself um, on each subsequent attempt as somebody from a media outlet seeking dirt about some particular subject, the overuse of antipsychotics, the cleanliness of the bed linens, some subject of uh, subject du jour, and she's just trying to muck rake. So it's critical that we vet every media inquiry. You can be very polite, you can be very professional, what paper outlet did you say you were with? Write it down. <clears throat> What's terribly important is that you reply to everyone, even the ones that you think are bogus, with some gentle confrontation. It doesn't appear as though I'm able to secure confirmation of your credentials. Are you able to send me some further information? What's terribly important, and we're going to see an example of this in the case study, what's terribly important is that the failure to reply invites speculation of the worst. What my uh, uh, crisis communications coach taught me was that failing to reply is like a vacuum, and into a vacuum, anything will move. 
And what will move into that vacuum is rumor, innuendo, misunderstanding, half-truths, truths that are conflated, facts that are somehow attached to one another in an awkward and inappropriate way. You can always, you can always say something. And in a crisis, that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to, we need to say things. External messages versus internal messages. For external messages, I'm going to propose that this is the tried and true structure of a message. And this is the structure for virtually every external message. The internal messages are a little different, not, not terribly, but the external messages should be structured like this. One, two, three, it's like a sandwich. One, at Stackpole and Associates, our key concern is for the preparedness and responsiveness of our clients in every communication situation. That's why during this extraordinarily difficult time in COVID-19, we're developing free information, free tools for our clients and others that can be used to effectively manage their audiences at this difficult time. We believe that it's our responsibility and our mission to deliver these tools to better manage communications with critical audiences at this and every time. So I just modeled it for you. It's once you've got the rhythm, it's pretty easy. And it's not to be done just once, it's to be done every time you speak, every time you write, even when you think it's trite or repetitive or boring, it's not. By the time you get to the point where you're thinking it's trite and, and repetitive and boring, you're just getting through to your target audience at a level that they can remember. Oh yeah, their mission really is to be transparent and to be helpful in a crisis. That's, you can customize this sandwich to meet virtually any situation. That's the structure. For the internal statements, the structure is very simple, but it's actually takes a little bit more. It's like a club sandwich instead of a simple sandwich. So you repeat, our first concern is the safety well-being of the residents, consumers, our customers here at the senior center, whatever the situation is, whatever your mission is, it's okay to repeat it. The terrible events that have occurred, the COVID-19 illnesses from the new coronavirus have been difficult for everyone, including you, our staff. During this difficult time, please come to us, to me, to Harriet, to whoever the authoritative person is, or resources. Now, if you've set up a good page on your website, or you've set up a good Facebook um, activity stream, or you're using uh, some other tool like WhatsApp, refer people to that stream and make sure that that stream has the same messages that you're giving to your staff members. So you're empowering your staff messages, your staff with the messages that 
First of all, you care. Second of all, you've got a plan. And third of all, you're showing them how to get the information that they will need. Refrain. And so the next part to this, this is a club sandwich and not a simple sandwich. My request is that you refrain from commenting to family, media, or others about certain circumstances, the identity of people who died, the nature of how we're handling things internally in this regard, uh, because of their nature, because of the confidential and sensitive nature. I know that you will want to say things. If you want to say things, I want you to come to me or look at the website for the information or the WhatsApp stream, whatever you're going to use to get the authoritative, the best information, the best up-to-date information that's available. And if you have any questions, contact me personally. So I'm paraphrasing a conversation that you would have with your employees. And this, this conversation, please, needs to be scripted. That gives them the information they need. And then you finish with your employees. And I don't, I'm, I hate to be uh, laid on any law or to be somewhat directive, but even if you think it seems silly, I want you to repeat at the end of the conversation with your staff, whether it's a meeting in the lunchroom, I want you to repeat the mission at the end of the conversation. I know that you all know that our first concern here at Cupcake Nursing Center is the care and well being of our residents. And with your help, we can make it through this difficult time and deliver on that mission and on that promise. And end with, and you, I want you to know that you can call me, contact me at any time. So, what you're doing is you're wrapping up what's critical there, the information, in what's also critical which is the qualitative nature of your concern about the information and about them. So you're making it clear to them that they are uh, critical and that uh, you are the most authoritative resource. Now, that means that the you I'm talking to through the camera, that you've actually identified yourself or that you, your organization has identified many selves in many different organizations in many different operational units and that these individuals are able to and equipped to stand up, uh, get it out, uh, and get in front of it. So let's take crisis communications case studies. Uh, let's take uh, two uh, studies. Now I'm, I'm going to use these not because I want to point fingers, I'm going to use these because stunningly they appeared in the same newspaper on the same day. And they're two stories about congregate care. So the framework, the context, the frame of this, of this, these messages, these, these media messages, this rhetoric, the frame is the same. And they, so it's messages about uh, congregate care in the context of the novel coronavirus COVID-19 crisis 
and it's about congregate care. So the first one uh, is, and you can see here that happened, uh, it, was, it was appeared in the Boston Globe on April 4th. And yes, as many of you know, I'm from Boston, so I do look at the Boston Globe from time to time. And this is case study number one. And you can see here what the headline says. The headline says, isolated from their families, children and adults in group homes struggle for normalcy. Now, <clears throat> in those words, there are some harsh, clear uh, terms. Isolated. No one likes to be isolated, less, least of all from the members of your family. Children. We feel tragic when children are isolated. Um, and we see struggle for normalcy, struggle for normalcy. We all can identify with that. That keyword has been around now in these 38 or 39 days that I've had uh, social isolation, uh, physical distancing. Um, these terms are clear. The headline uh, uses difficult but accurate words to describe the situation. Um, in the article, and I would commend the article to you if you all need copies of it or you need a link, I think we can provide that. There's, a, there's quotes from multiple providers and representatives, as well as affected family members and from consumers themselves, residents themselves. One of the quotes, yet despite efforts that have been described as heroic by parents and administrators, COVID-19 has spread to staff and residents at some group homes, state officials said. So that's one quote. Keep that in mind. Another quote, unfortunately, we are going through an unbelievable crisis, said one person who's a chief executive at an ARC, which is an, uh, an organization responsible for congregate care. Unfortunately, we're going through an unbelievable crisis. That's the truth. <clears throat> and, the, and the other quote, operators of group homes and residential schools across the state said they have made every effort to keep residents and staff healthy while trying to maintain some normalcy. Well, where did they get those quotes? They didn't get those quotes by calling into the group homes and trying to scalp a quote from an unbeknownst clerk. Operators of group homes and residential schools across the state said the authoritative source for the operators of group homes and residential schools. So they made themselves available to the media and the media converted that quote, this crisis, this information, and this picture. I mean, I want you to look at the picture. It, it looks stressful, but remember that's a mother looking at her son in that tablet. So they, the reporter has taken this information and turned this into a story, into a story that made it to the front page. Of, I believe it was on the front page of the Globe that day. So that's one story. <clears throat> the other thing I'd like you to remember is 
that at this time, mainstream media, the ranks of reporters have been decimated. We've all learned about the, uh, the shift from printed media, printed newspapers to digital channels. And what that has meant is the loss of reporting staff. So at this time of crisis, sometimes very inexperienced reporters are attempting to pull together stories that they believe will have heft and importance to their audiences. So it's, it's, it's something, there's some responsibility we have not just to sit back and wait, not to wait for them to construct the story and then to try to parry and thrust or, or trim and, and redirect them, but to actually manage the story. And I suspect that that's what happened in this story. Because the next case study is profoundly different. I'd like you to look at this. Residents and families, angry and hopeless as coronavirus overwhelms nursing homes. Now, there's nothing untrue about any of that, but the choice of words is particularly um, third person. There's nothing second person about this. Residents and families are angry and helpless. These two words, angry and helpless, are loaded. They're culturally, they're loaded. They're extraordinarily uh, powerful negative terms that we should strive not to have in a headline about our audiences. Inside the story, as coronavirus uh, at uh, this particular nursing center, three staffers told the Globe they believe the virus contributed to 21 deaths in less than two weeks, although not all of those people were tested. When the mail arrived Friday, there were 20 greeting cards for patients who had recently died. In the time they mailed the letter, said one staff member, these people are gone. Well, this is tragic. It's sad. It's poignant. And a reporter loves that kind of message because it makes everybody, it prompts everybody, it tweaks everybody's sense of uh, guilt and urgency to say, ah, but where did they get that? They got that from a staff person who was willing to give the reporter that quote. That staff person wasn't coached, wasn't trained about what to say and when to say it or to whom. Also in the same article, uh, poor preparation and communication have led to missteps and hasty decisions. Well, who told them that? And three staffers blamed poor communication, low staffing levels uh, for so many issues, for so many workers being sick. And finally, the, the, the awful, awful line that I hate to read, this particular nursing center declined to respond to questions. It released a statement confirming it was grappling with infections and said it was following state guidance. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what I refer to as bunkering. So what can we do after the crisis? First, determine the extent of the damage. And how do you do that? You do that by asking people. Develop a repair plan. This is similar to, in service error recovery, what we call a recovery plan, error recovery plan. 
get feedback from your key audiences, correct misinformation. What sources worked for you? What didn't work? How could we have provided you with more immediate and more accessible information? Over what channel? How did you learn what you learned about what was going on inside the property? Execute the repair plan and say thank you. And this goes to the issue of the audit. Uh, these are questions in the audit that I won't repeat here, but if you sign up for the free digital audit, these will be included in, in the review of your digital assets. So um, in conclusion, we now know what to expect. We know the unimaginable is on our doorstep. We know, and we cannot any longer pretend that we don't. We know that we need to be better prepared. The overwhelming majority, and I don't need to take a survey on this one, the overwhelming majority of congregate care centers were not prepared for this level of challenge and difficulty. Um, and I know you're gonna get defensive and say, well, who could, this is a once in a lifetime event. Well, if uh, I, I've got lots of examples of previous crises and we didn't learn from those either. So my prayer is that we do learn from this one. We need to execute, we need to execute on a, on a good plan. We need to get digital, we need to get digital now, and we need to develop this acute listening uh, for our audiences and to our audiences. And it, I'd like to leave with this particular quote from Mark Twain, uh, always do right. This will gratify some people and astonish the rest. I wanna thank you very much for your patience. If you enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening.